Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazinga. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. As Pastor Todd continues teaching through the year of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us now about one of the most controversial teachings among modern Christians. Please don't let this divert you. Pastor Todd shares the reasons why so many Christians and their leaders teach that the gifts are not for today. Then he proceeds from Scripture to show why this perspective is based on sloppy Bible interpretation. He does not teach us from history, nor from the fear of chaos in the church, no fear of walking out these gifts improperly. He teaches us from the Word of God himself. These gifts were not given only to the apostles in their age. They were given to the church, then and now, for the building up of the body of Christ until Jesus returns. The church should be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in fear of what might happen. Let's listen in as Pastor Todd explains. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. We're going to be studying spiritual gifts. So to start that, I'm going to start with the most common scripture on spiritual gifts. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7 is the most important thing you will ever learn on spiritual gifts. If you don't start with the foundation of verse 7, you're going to go astray. But to each one of us is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one is given a manifestation for the common good. And for to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another word of faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one uh, individually just as he wills. Now, I'm going to read a second scripture, uh, and we'll cover these in the weeks to come, but this is kind of where we start, Romans 12, 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy is your gift according to the proportion of his faith, if service is in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, these are the kind of things that we're going to be studying over the next, probably take us a good three months, actually, as we go gift by gift to understand these and what this manifestation looks like and how it looks for you. However, everybody say however. There is no need to study the gifts if you don't believe they're relevant for today. What, what would be the point? If you don't think they're in play today, why would we need to study them? Why would we need to learn them? I mean, there are Christians who believe that gifts are not for today, and they were only given to that first century church. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by making an argument for the gifts not being available today. What? 
Hang in there. Why would I do that? Because somewhere in your walk, you're going to run into someone who says the gifts have ceased and they do not exist today. So I'm going to tell you their arguments as to why the gifts have stopped. Then I'll show you why their arguments don't hold up scripturally. I want you to understand why they believe what they believe. And to do that, there's two words you got to understand from the very beginning. The words are cessation and continuism. The cessationist and the continuist. What is that? The cessationist, by definition of words, something that has ceased. People who believe the gifts have ceased are cessationist. People who believe that the gifts have continued in the church and continued to today are continuist. Okay, so you'll hear those phrases. I don't want you to get hung up. But in 2013, I'm going to do this approach to teaching you what they believe kind of in a unique way. In 2013, in the United States, there was a large conference on the West Coast called Strange Fire. And the purpose was to directly confront the continuist and explain that it's actually a cessationist situation. And in that conference, a particular pastor teacher was specifically given the role of explaining the cessationist view. In other words, he was supposed to go biblically and show you why the gifts have ceased. Today, to start my message, I am using his points, his arguments. In other words, this is what I don't want to do. I don't want to tell you this is what I think they believe and this is what I think they're teaching. I want to show you what they believe and what they're teaching from their mouth. Okay? Now, I want you to hear me boldly before we go any further. These are believers in Jesus Christ and we'll spend eternity with them. Unfortunately, they're not working in the gifts. And so uh, I have to say one other baseline statement, and if you don't know this about me, well, you're about to learn it today. Nothing, nothing makes me angrier than bad Bible interpretation. Sloppy Bible interpretation drives me crazy. People who pick a verse and set a whole doctrine in play in their life and have no idea that verse wasn't even talking about that. That kind of stuff drives me crazy uh, because I'm just a student of the word and I gotta, I gotta have the whole word. I gotta understand the whole picture because then you can break it apart and dissect it correctly. But here are the biblical interpretation as to why gifts have ceased from that conference and I'm intentionally not using names because my goal is not to slam anybody. My goal is just to give you uh, some legitimacy to the points I'm making that they were made in a cessationist conference. So are you ready? Here is point number one from the cessationist view. The primary purpose of miracles and signs in the first century in the Bible are to confirm the credentials of divinely appointed messengers of God. So they're saying the primary purpose of those miracles was to confirm the credentials of a divinely appointed messenger. You'll need this later, that phrase, 
credentials of a divinely appointed messenger. Uh, But this is their argument. Because God told Moses, when Moses said, and I'm, I'm quoting from them, when Moses said, how will the Pharaoh know that I am from you? God said, what's in your hand? A staff. Throw it down. It becomes a snake. Pick it back up. It doesn't. And so the confirmation to Pharaoh that Moses was from God was that he could do something miraculous with this staff when he throws it down. And so they go on to say, additionally, Jesus chose 12 apostles, and he told those apostles to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demon, and set the captive free. So he told them to go do miraculous spiritual things. And in Acts 5.12, it says, at the hands of of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's portico. So the cessationist, number one, the cessationist view of why these gifts are no longer in play is because they were only to confirm a divinely appointed person, typically an apostle in the first century. So here's my objection to that point. Mark 16 17, 18. What do you do with this verse if you take that line of thinking? These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink a deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And when they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Jesus did not say to the apostles that this is just for you. As a matter of fact, he told the apostles to teach us what he told them to do. Let's go. Let's go. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you just saw that. He just said, go to all nations. Go to all nations. And when you get to all the nations, teach them, baptize them. Okay, now watch. Watch what he says after that. If I can find where I am in my notes teaching them, the people you are making disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What does observe mean? If you go into the Greek, observe, terao, terao, it means to attend to carefully and to take care of. So what did Jesus command the apostles to teach and take care of? You go right back to Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out the demon. Freely you receive, freely give. This is what he commanded the disciples to do. Go work miraculous healing. You've been freely given the Holy Spirit, so freely dispense the Holy Spirit. Now, teach them to do what I commanded you, and this is what I commanded you for you to teach them. So to me, it's pretty clear that as they go out into all the nations, they are to teach them to raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the leopard, cast out the demon. I I, I think that argument as of itself... Just saying, oh, it was for a divinely appointed thing. Listen, it absolutely was. 
there were absolutely times when God used miraculous and giftings to point out someone was divinely appointed by him. But it did not limit God to only giving the miraculous to those who are divinely appointed by them. How do I know that? Because he told the apostles to go teach everybody they make a disciple to do the same thing they're doing. Sloppy Bible interpretation. Let's go to point number two. Point number two from the cessationist view was there was an end to the gift of apostleship. An end to the gift of apostleship. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now remember, this is their argument. I'm going to tell you what they're saying in this conference. Jesus gave the gift to the apostles in the first century, and here are the qualifications it takes to be an apostle. This is what they said in the conference. You had to be a witness of Christ's resurrection. You had to be appointed by Christ, and you had to work miracles. Now, if you go back into Acts 1 and look at what the qualifications were, it said they had to accompany Jesus from the time of his baptism to his ascension. They had to witness his uh, resurrection, and they had to be appointed by Christ. So their argument is, therefore, no one today could have met those qualifications. None of us were witnesses to his actual resurrection. None of us were there from his baptism to his ascension. So there cannot be any apostles today because that was the criteria for the 12, Matthias 13, minus Judas back to 12. Here's my objection. What are you going to do if you believe that? What are you going to do with Ephesians 4, 11 and 12? He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Watch. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed first in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and various kinds of tongues. I need you to think this through. I need you to think it through based on their argument that no one today could be an apostle. If you're going to believe that only the original 12 plus Matthias minus Judas are the ones he's referring to in this scripture, then the original New Testament prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors were also only for the first century. It'll take a minute, but it'll set. I don't know if you see what I'm saying, but you can't use the argument for one of the five excluded and the other four you're going to claim that one goes away, but the other four are still in place. And, and I'll show you evidence that there is no way the five can go away. And you're thinking, well, but none of us can be apostles because that was how he chose the 12. True. So now the question is, can anybody else be an apostle? Well, in that scripture, it would be, can anybody else be an apostle? Can anybody else be an evangelist? But Philip was called to be an evangelist. Timothy was told to do the work of the evangelist. So since the Holy Spirit appointed and titled them as evangelists in the word of God, are they the only ones? Can we no longer have evangelists because they had to be appointed in the first century by the, uh, by the Holy Spirit? Sure, we still have evangelists. What am I saying? I'm saying it's a bad argument. You can't make that argument. The original 12 were picked based on a criteria. But the church still needs apostolic leaders. They still need evangelists. They still need teachers. 
So in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians, they're saying Jesus gave the ministry of the church and God, these ministries to the church, the fivefold ministries, Jesus gave them to the church, God appoints who will fill them. I'll wait. Why does it say first apostles? I'm going to explain that to you as we go through. We're talking about a five-fold ministry. Why does he say first apostles? Because it almost leads us to think, okay, he must mean first at the beginning of the church in the first century, okay? And then he gave prophets. So there were no, uh, there were no uh, prophets while there were apostles because the apostles were first and then came the prophet. I would challenge you today. Some of you can do this. Most of us can't. Tell me who the prophets were after the apostles. Ooh, gets a little tough. And can I just say, if this argument is going to be made for the cessation of spiritual gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors are not spiritual gifts. They're ministries given to the church. So you're arguing something has gone away, and that's not the topic. The topic is, are the gifts still here today? Trust me, I will show you why there are still apostles and prophets and evangelists in the church today. I'm saying bad argument, sloppy interpretation. Point number three, the foundational nature, this is what they say, this is what was said at the conference, the foundational nature, the job, of the New Testament apostles and prophets is a reason why gifts have ceased. Let me show you this argument because it's interesting. Ephesians 2, 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Sounds like the church, right? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So listen, in verse 20 it says, having been built, the church having been built on the apostles and prophets. Do you see it? The church having been built on the apostles and prophets. So the argument is the foundation for the church was built by the apostles and the prophets. So the foundation is done and we don't need them anymore. This is a legitimate argument being made in a conference. I'm like damaging my computer as I'm watching. <laughs> because there are just times when you make a bad argument. Okay, here's my objection. First, I like the fact that they do agree that there are New Testament prophets in the first century. We know Agabus. We know the daughters of Philip. But because of the foundation of the church is finished, we don't need apostles and prophets anymore. So hear me out. Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets definitely laid the foundation. Definitely. Jesus is the cornerstone. That scripture clearly says the prophets and the apostles laid that foundation. But how in the world does that mean that we no longer need apostles and prophets? Was the laying of the foundation the only job for an apostle and a prophet? Therefore, when the foundation was laid, they no longer had a reason to be. Show me in Scripture, in the Bible, where it says the role of an apostle or a prophet is to lay the foundation and then get out. I don't. I look at Ephesians 4.11, and this is what it says. He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. There they are. Some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. For, 
He gave some to be apostles and prophets for the equipping of the saints, the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain a unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, till we become a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I'm pretty sure that says we need apostles and prophets to equip us, to build us up, until we're all in unity and we become mature. And that does not sound like foundational-only work. And you may say, well, maybe what they meant was the apostle and the prophet did the foundational work, and then the evangelist, pastor, and teacher did the rest. Then why did he include the apostle and prophet in the scripture? Why didn't he say the apostles and the prophets, well, they started it, but now the teacher, the pastor, everybody's, why do we say, um, why do we, why did he say that we only, why, wow. <laughs> Come on. I'm getting worked up. (laughs) Why didn't he say in the scripture that we need the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher to build up the church and mature the church, but we don't actually need the apostle and the prophet anymore because they're included in the building up and the maturing of the church. It's sloppy Bible interpretation. Number four, their point, the nature of miraculous gifts as an argument for cessation. The nature of the gifts as an argument for why they have ceased, they say, if the Spirit were still gifting people with miraculous gifts, I'm about to explode, Dr. Charles. (laughs) Pastor, if you need to come up here and pull me off, you pull me off. (laughs) If the Spirit were still gifting people with the miraculous gifts, they say, then they, the gifts, would be the same gifts the believers are using today. Hence their example. Tongues are the capacity to speak in a a known language. That's their argument. Tongues are a known language. Like the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, the people heard in their language. Tongues given to Cornelius, it says in the Bible, they were the same as the day of Pentecost. And as the day of Pentecost, it says they heard in their language. So it's a known language. They say, but today's charismatics are speaking ecstatic languages nobody understands. Today's charismatics are practicing something different than the original gifts. Let me show you why that's a bad argument. There were 15 different countries represented on the day of Pentecost. The Bible said the people were hearing in their own language. Did it say that they were understanding everyone's language? No. So if I am a Persian and I am hearing you in Persian language, it does not mean that I know the Greek language. So to me, hear me out, the Greek is an ecstatic language. Because I don't know what you're saying, but I can hear my language. It doesn't say they heard every language. It says they heard their language. In other words, there were other languages being spoken that they did not understand. Isn't tongues today a language that no one understands unless someone interprets? Would that be correct? So what do you do if you're going to take that argument that the gifts they use there as far as tongues go are different than what we're doing today? What do you do with 1 Corinthians 14.10? 1 Corinthians 14 says there are perhaps a great many kinds of language in the world and no one language is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, 
it will be to the one who speaks a barbarian and to the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. What did he just say? Easier for you, translate the word barbarian to foreigner because they use the word barbarian, but we use foreigner. In other words, someone is speaking in a language I don't understand. They are a foreigner to me. Is that not directly saying that when you're speaking a tongue, you're speaking a language that is foreign to me? So hence, to other people don't understand me. To call it gibberish because you don't understand it is a bogus argument. I'm going to show you something. We'll get into this next week, I promise you, but just hang on to this for this week. How many languages do you think exist on our planet today? 6,500. 6,500, and I'm going to show you next week that some of us, when we are speaking in tongues, are speaking a known language. I may be speaking Indonesian, but you don't know what it is. All you know is I'm speaking in tongues, and there needs to be an interpreter for you to know what I said. So the argument that we're not doing the same thing that was done in the first century is a bit bogus because, quite honestly, you don't know if what you're speaking is a known language somewhere in the world. Oh. So we'll get to that next week. Sloppy interpretation. Sloppy Bible. Number five. Dale, if you need to throw a bucket of water on me, man, you do it. You know, when you run out of things that can make sense, you start making arguments with things that don't make sense. Number five, the testimony of church history. This was presented as an argument for cessationism. The testimony of church history. It says that the practice of gifts declined within the apostolic times as recorded in the Bible. So you need to be thinking chronologically from when they were first released and then as the church age went on. Pentecost starts 10 days after the ascension. Gifts, gifts abound. Tongues, prophecy abound. In Acts 10, which is 14 years later, there's a reference to tongues. In Acts 19, which is in the early 50s A.D., there's one last demonstration of tongues. So can you see how it started with a bunch, but it's dwindling out? And as a matter of fact, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the uh, chapter 12 through 14 were actually written around 55 A.D., and it was the last teaching on tongues. So obviously, the argument is, as time went on in Scripture, we see that gifts were used less and less. I'm sorry, but that has to be the dumbest biblical argument ever made. I'm going to show you in a minute why that makes no sense. If you're going to argue the declining demonstration of gifts, then why do you go 20 years after they're released in the church and begin training people in Corinth how to use them? By your own argument, it was over 20 years later that we go to the church of Corinth and we start teaching them how to use them, but they're supposed to be dwindling off. But here later in the game, John dies in 95. Can I get tacky? Is that okay to get tacky? Okay. John dies in 95. He's the last apostle to die. We believe that's the accurate date of when he died. Can you imagine if your mindset is, once the apostles are gone, the gifts are gone, that you're in the church of Corinth in 55 AD, and they're teaching you how to use them. 
And you are rocking along using them for 40 years. It's amazing what's going on. And next Sunday, all of a sudden, they stop. They don't work at all. And somebody says, John must have died. Can't use those anymore because John died. You don't train people to do things that you're going to tell them you're not going to be able to do these. These are going to drift away. It's just a, let me, let me show you how I can say that's a bad argument. I want you to do the exact same thing in Scripture, in the New Testament, from the day of Pentecost with baptism. You know how people were baptized on the day of Pentecost? It's, the word's not Jesus, it's 3,000. 3,000. A few weeks later, 5,000 came. Then, you know, Cornelius' family, uh, well, that was probably 8 or 10 or 12 people. And the eunuch, well, he was just by himself when he got baptized. So, obviously, baptism is dwindling in the New Testament. So, we're not supposed to baptize. Baptism goes away. It's a bad argument. That argument makes no sense at all. Then he goes on, the speaker at the conference, he goes on to make a list of church leaders that are after the first century who all say the gifts from the first century have ceased. Irenaeus, some of these guys that we would know if we look back in church history have writings that say we believe that the gifts have ceased. Here's the problem. There were writers after the first century that said the gifts are fully in force and active today and moving, but he didn't quote them. He just quoted the ones that supported his argument. That's bad interpretation. It's just bad. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying not to be tacky. Okay, number six. And this is probably the biggest cessationist argument. It is the most complex, concrete, got to walk it through argument. Their argument is the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of the Bible. And I'll tell you what that means. They believe, this is what they said, the Bible that we have is sufficient for the completion of the words of God to us. Therefore, we need no further words from God. That's just hard for me to say. And that the Bible is all the revelation we will ever get from God. Their argument is that the written canonized Bible, if you're not familiar with that term, canonization. You have 66 books in your Bible. They are a canonized version. What does canonize? Canon means a measuring stick. It means a group of leaders began to get together and say, I've got a letter here that's written from Paul. That's got to be the Holy Spirit. But I got one over here that's written from Thomas. Is that Holy Spirit living or did he just write this? And so they set down a criteria and they went through all of these letters and they said, here are the ones that seem to be meeting all the criteria for us to believe they're from the Holy Spirit. These people saw Jesus. These people walked with him. They were taught by him. So they have legitimacy. If you're a Catholic, you have something called the Apocrypha, another set of books after your Bible. That set of 12 books is the ones they weren't sure about. So they weren't included in the canonized Bible. But hear me out. The Bible as you have it in your hand today probably on your coffee table at home, or maybe you can't find it because it's in our lost and found. <laughs> the Bible you have today was canonized, officially formulated in 368 A.D., 368 A.D. in the Council of Laodicea. That's when your Bible was put together like you see it today. 
So their argument that that written, canonized Bible is all God is going to say to us until Jesus returns. That scares me. That scares me because to me, and I don't have this in my notes, sorry, Caesar, that reeks of the law. That reeks of the law. Here's my objection. Why did Jesus tell us that the Holy Spirit was going to lead us into truth if he wasn't going to speak to us anymore? Maybe a more flippant question, why do we pray at all? If God's not going to speak to you, why are you praying? More importantly, why are you expecting an answer if God no longer speaks? And, and here's the argument, because this is one I grew up with, folks. I grew up with this. I grew up making this argument until I got some revelation that I was completely wrong. Many people claim this cessationist view because they're going to 1 Corinthians, and they're looking in chapter 13, and it says the gifts will cease when the perfect comes. Have you heard this argument? Well, that's what it says. It says the gifts are going to cease. If you have prophecy, it's going to go away. If you have tongues, it's going to go away. They're going to cease when the perfect comes, and the Bible is the perfect word of God. And since the Bible is the perfect word of God, as soon as we get a Bible, the gifts cease. Do you know that the Bible is never even referred to in the Bible? <laughs> Scripture never says you're going to have a Bible. It doesn't. It doesn't say you're going to have a Bible. And then if you go into that Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what it says. They're going to go away when the perfect comes. And when the perfect comes, you're going to be face-to-face -face with the perfect. And when the perfect comes, you're going to be fully known, and you will fully know. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had my Bible all my life, and I've never been face-to-face -face with my Bible because it doesn't have a face. I have never fully known my Bible. If I've fully known my Bible, I, I think I'd be bored of preaching because i got it all figured out. I'm never going to fully know, and in my Bible, that book, doesn't fully know me. But do you know that five times Jesus in Scripture is referred to as the perfect? Now, tell me this doesn't make sense. When Jesus returns, we will no longer need to speak in tongues. Why? Because I think we'll all have a united language or be able to hear and understand every language. When Jesus comes, I don't need a prophetic word. Why? Because it's now. And it's going to be now forever. So Jesus is the perfect that's referred to in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's the only place that you can say the Scripture says something about gifts ceasing, but it says it ceases when Jesus returns, not when the Bible is written. Bad Bible interpretation. Finally, point number seven. Yes, we're getting to a close. I called the restaurant. They're going to hold your table. If I begin laughing, Dale, just take me off the stage. <laughs> the argument number seven, the New Testament rules that were laid down for gifts is an argument for them having ceased. The rules of how to use them is an argument for them ceasing. I'm telling you what they said in the conference. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, and 28. Here's the rules they said, not my words, their words. If it's tongues, it can only be speaking two or three at the most in a service. They have to speak one at a time in each in turn because there had to be order and structure. What they said had to be an interpreter, and you're going to love this, women cannot do it. 
I didn't say that. That's what they said in the conference. Then they went on, let me show you prophecy. Prophecy 29 through 34 in 1 Corinthians 14. Two or three at the most. Other prophets must measure the prophets. That's what we did against each other of the word that Ralph gave you this morning. One at a time, and women can't do it. I didn't want to be that guy on the stage, but... So they say, here's the problem, and here's why gifts have ceased, because charismatics disregard those instructions. That was their seventh point of cessationism, was because you're using them wrong, they don't exist. That's got to be one of the, that's got to be the second dumbest argument I've heard biblically. Gifts don't exist today because you're not doing them right. Now listen, we could say salvation does not exist today because I met someone who said the Bible says you got to sing to the Lord and I can't sing, therefore I can't be saved. Well, that's it. Salvation doesn't exist if you can't sing. Salvation still exists whether you understand it correctly or not. It doesn't remove the fact that it exists. Uh, so I want you to think about that argument. You want to teach me the proper way to do something that no longer exists. I'm not wasting any more time on point seven. I think it's ridiculously, incredibly bizarre, sloppy Bible interpretation. Now let's talk about why the gifts do exist. You guys okay to stay a little longer? All right, let's do this. Here are some of my reasons to tell you why the gifts do still exist. Because there is not a single scripture in the Bible anywhere that says gifts will stop prior to Jesus' return to this earth. That is simply a scheme developed by man based on assumptions. Well, it seems they got to use them less and less and less, so they must be going away. There is a man-made dispensation called the apostolic dispensation. Do you ever hear Jesus refer to the apostolic dispensation? Do you know why? Because it doesn't exist. There were simply apostles in the church age. We're in the church age. That's the dispensation we're in. For us to be in any other dispensation besides the apostles, then their dispensation would have had to end, and we would have known we just entered a new dispensation. You'll think about that later. God never directly says that gifts are only for a certain time period other than up until Jesus returns. Scripture never directly says that they are only for the apostles or only for the first century. The Bible never says that, but conversely, say conversely, there are direct scriptures that say spiritual gifts will continue. Not a single one that says they're going to stop before Jesus returns. Not a single one that says that, but scriptures that directly say they're going to continue till Jesus returns. Let me show you Mark 16, 16. He who believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. 17. These are the signs that will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. I'll talk about all that stuff later, but just look at this. Who has signs following them? Those who believe. 
If the spiritual gifts are only for the apostles in the first century, then only the apostles in the first century church can believe because this says gifts accompany those who believe. Are you with me? So he must have been talking about here, it's only the apostles and the first century that are going to be able to believe because they're the ones that gifts followed. You don't get gifts following, so you can't believe. If the spiritual gifts are only for them, then we got a problem because it directly says, if you are a believer, gifts follow you. It doesn't say if you're a first century believer. It doesn't say if you're an apostle. It doesn't say if you're a prophet. It says if you're a believer, gifts will follow you. There's another direct scripture in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. Pursue and desire the gifts. Do you honestly believe that God wanted to record in the annals of time that he wanted the Corinthian church to pursue and desire them, but not us? Why would we even need to know that God wanted the Corinthian church to pursue them, but not us? Why would he even need to record that for us and tell us that he wanted them to, but not us? John 14, 10. Jesus is speaking. Oh, you got to go deep with me here, because this one will surprise you when you see what it really says. 14.10. Do, do you not believe that I am in the Father? Jesus is speaking. And the Father in me. Now watch and read closely. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Uh, I'm going to read that slower. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. He did not say the Father tells me the works to do. He said the words I get from the Father are the Father's works. Are you seeing that? The words that I get and I speak are the Father's works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves. Truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, what are the works that he does? The words that he gets from the Father. The words that he speaks are the works. We call that prophecy. He will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So if you interpret that just as Jesus does miraculous works, then he's definitely saying you will do greater miraculous works than Jesus did. But when I read it, it says, Jesus said, the words that the Father gives me, I speak because his words are works. You ever had somebody change your life with a prophetic word? That's a work of the Lord. He spoke into you. You felt it. You knew it in your spirit. That's a work of the Lord. All right. Final scripture, and then we'll try to close out. You guys have been great. I'll use to verify the continuation is what I said early, that Jesus told the apostles to go make disciples and to teach them to do what Jesus had commanded the disciples to do, and he commanded them to heal the sick. And we listed that as a gift, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to cast out the demon. So why are we teaching people to do miraculous spiritual things if they can only do them in the first century? You know, I, I could stop here and just walk away and say, got it, good, you should be solid that the gifts are still good today. Or I could ask questions like this. 
Is the power of the Holy Spirit a diminishing power? Does his power fade away or taper off or gradually leave? Are there other things in Scripture that are going to taper off and leave us? No. And somebody said, well, there are things in the Bible that we're not to do anymore. We're not to sacrifice at the temple. Listen, the Bible tells you Jesus replaced sacrificing at the temple. So anywhere it tells you this for that, we'll do that. But we can't just decide that things gradually fade off and fade away or we fade right into the world. Now, my most convincing argument, this is the one I use anytime somebody calls me and says, how can you prove that the gifts are for today? And I do get this. I got it from a student who was at school in a school that was teaching cessationism. And she said, how do I refute this? I said, I'm going to give you the biggest gun I got and you blow it in the room and see what happens. I want you to think about 1 Corinthians. I want you to think about the church at Corinth in chapters 12 through 14 of Corinthians 14. Paul is teaching the church body how to properly use spiritual gifts. I'm going to say that again. Paul is teaching the church body how to properly use spiritual gifts. Now think about what I just repeated. He is not teaching the apostles. He is not segregating those who will only be here during the first century. He was teaching church members. These were church members, listen, that did not need to confirm their credentials as a divinely appointed messenger of God. Do you hear me? They didn't need that. They were believers in Corinth. Every believer in Corinth was not assigned by God to go out and do something and represent God. He's teaching the church how to use the gifts. Why? If they're going away and it's only for the apostles in the first century, why is he teaching the church body how to use gifts and how to use them properly? And finally, a serious question. Why would God leave In the canonized Bible, if we want to use those terms, the word for us today, why would he leave teaching about how to properly use the gifts for us to study today if they were not available and not working and not for us today? Why would he leave this teaching? I want you to consider that that teaching on the gifts is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the chapters, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, 1 Peter 4, 10, Romans 1, 11, Romans 11, 29, Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Timothy 4, 14, 2 Timothy 1, 6. It's all over the Bible, and I'm just asking the question in my office, God, why in the world would you leave all this instruction? Why would you tell us how they were supposed to work? Why would you tell us when to be careful with them, when to not, when to be silent? and when to use them if you were going to say, but it's not for you. Then I get really confused about 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work except for all that stuff about spiritual gifts and except for all that stuff that was just for the first century church and except for all that stuff that I told the apostles even though I told them to tell you. I didn't mean that. It's just not profitable for you so you can't. You see You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. It, you have to create an argument to make 
make it sound like they've ceased when it is so blatantly easy to read Scripture that tells you those who believe these are the signs that follow them. And fundamental cessationists often argue that charismatics, man, y'all get all caught up in your experiences. And I'm going to tell you boldly, my experience will never override the truth of God's Word. But the cessationists can't argue my experience when they confirm the Word of God. So the question is, why are they not having these experiences? Because they don't believe in them. Why do they not operate in gifts? Because they don't believe they're for today. Why do we operate in gifts? Because we believe they operate for today. Biblically, we can find no reason why they've ceased. We can find no credible argument that says they were for the apostles in the first century and the prophets. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the next however long it takes, and we're going to go gift by gift by gift, because some of you need to be operating in gifts and you're not. Some of you... Some of you have never experienced a spiritual gift, never experienced it. You're praying, they hit the ceiling, they come back down, and you're wondering, what is going on? So some of you have never been baptized in the Spirit. You've never had the Spirit come upon you. Go to your Bible. Look in John chapter 20. The apostles, they're in an upper room. While they're in the upper room, Jesus shows up. And it says they were excited after he showed them his scars and proved he was Jesus. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 20, that was the first day of his resurrection. In the evening of the very day he resurrected, he met with the apostles, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wait, I'm not done. I'm not done because he stays with them for 40 days. And he says, let me show you me in the scripture. And he teaches them. And then he ascends and it's 10 days before Pentecost. And you know what he tells them? Stay here because not many days from now, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit, as John told you I would do. Oh, you got to think it through. They've already got the Holy Spirit. Now he's telling them 10 days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know what the net result of that baptism would be? You'll be speaking in tongues. You'll be speaking boldly. You'll be prophesying. Listen to me. I got baptized in the Spirit, and I thought, this is the weirdest life ever. I started having visions when I'm praying for people, and I tell them what that vision is, and they tell me, that just happened to me three hours ago. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And he gives it for the common good of the church. You know that scripture that talks about uh, you might be a, an eye or an ear, and what good is the eye without the ear unless the whole body functions? Listen, if your spiritual gifts are not working, then the common good is not being met. We need you working in your spiritual gift. We need you working in these spiritual gifts. Stand to your feet, please. I'll ask my altar ministers to come forward. Guys, I know it's a little heady today, but I had to use someone else's arguments to try to explain. But let me just say this boldly, clearly at the TV camera so everybody out there watching hears me. The gifts have not ceased. The gifts are still for today. The gifts are operating in the church. Last week, we heard the gift of tongues. This week, we heard the gift of prophecy. Uh, there are things that we're going to be studying, and you need to hear these things. Now, you may be here today. I'm, I'm going to hit two people about prayer. Number one, 
you've heard, you understand that there are people who operate in gifts. Maybe you've gotten a prophetic word. Maybe you've seen somebody healed, but you're wondering, why don't I operate in that? Listen to me. You can get baptized in the Spirit right now, right here today. Someone can lay hands on you and say, come upon them, Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come down, and all of a sudden you'll have gifting. I'll tell you how it happened to me. I was in Bogota, Colombia. I was in a church with 28,000 pastors, and the Holy Spirit dropped me to my floor by myself with no one touching me and said, you've been talking about me for years. It's time for you to get to know me. And I was baptized in the Spirit in that moment, and a whole new walk opens up. Let me tell you, your confidence, your strength, your integrity, everything will increase because you'll begin to see God work in your life like you never have seen him before. So if you need to be baptized in the Spirit, come and let these people pray over you. Number two, you're struggling. You're struggling. You're struggling with your marriage. The devil has gotten in. You're struggling with your job, your career, your finances. You're struggling with your friends. You're struggling with depression. You're struggling with what's going on in the world, and you can't figure out what to do. That's an oppression. That's an oppression of chaos and confusion that the enemy's putting on you. We can cast that thing out. We can break it. We can get rid of it so that you can have a peace that goes beyond your understanding. There's a peace that Jesus offers that you're not meant to understand. It is, will you receive my peace or not? You'll be all right. Just be, be at peace. He'll give you a peace and you won't even understand it. Janice, I want to speak to you. Hardest thing I ever did in my life was watching my spouse die. And it's crushing for a while. And people will speak into you some people will try to help you, and you know they're no help at all. But some will come with a true love and just say, I've been there, and I'll walk with you through it because I know it's hard. And so I just speak over you the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that things would line up and make sense and be okay quickly, and that your journey of sorrow and struggling uh, with the loss of Keith would not be long that it would be a sensical fairly soon. I can promise you this. You'll probably never actually know why, but you'll be at peace that one day you will, and he'll give you that strength to go forward. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I just declare in this house right now, for anyone struggling any way, the common good of the church is to pray over each other, to bless each other, to lay hands on each other, to release, to break. And this house wants to maturely walk in the gifts that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about? Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the scriptures are meant to teach us about the kingdom of God so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon, Flip the Script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, Go to our website, reviveusnow.com give. If you live in our area, 
or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.